Back here in Anchorage, uh, my first podcast since coming back from Juno. Joined here by uh, Dr. John Morris. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. It's my first podcast ever. Really? Well, here you are. Yeah. It's. it's uh, I mean, I asked you how much time you had, and you kind of looked out the window, and you're like, "Well, it's seventy degrees." Yeah, it's. Uh, it is a glorious summer uh, here in Anchorage. But uh, if I'm here talking to you, I'm. I'm not doing uh, uh, any of the honeydew list at home. So you're, you're not ad- administering anest- anest- anesthesia. No, I just I just came from work and uh, uh, it's uh, it's nice to be outside. You don't you're not wearing the scrub, so it'd be hard to nobody would know. Uh, no, we we try to leave those and the germs there at the hospital. I think I saw you once. Did you come to one of the assembly meetings? Were you wearing? I think one time I saw you kind of wearing the doctor's. I had to a couple of times because I was um, I, I never when I worked for the city I didn't leave my uh, practice, so sometimes I'd have to run back and forth, and there really wasn't time to change. So uh, I do try to avoid that though. I got to say, um, starting off, you, you brought me something here. It, look, it appears to be some moonshine. Uh, you would be right. That is moonshine from uh, uh, West Virginia. So I told you when I asked you about coming to the podcast, I did a podcast that was probably a month ago with Lisa Murkowski and Joe Manchin. He was in town for this yep. uh, Arctic um, event. And I asked him about moonshine. And he actually told me he would he would – somehow get me some from this guy he knows in West Virginia. Yeah. And then he said that it used to, you know, it used to be illegal, but they've made some different laws, but you kind of have to register. And he tried to get his friend, convince his friend to kind of like do it legally. Oh. And, and then he needed like a name. And he's like, well, what do I call it? And he's like, well, what, I mean, what, what, what do you want to, he's like, we call it farm fuel. Yeah. And Manchin's like, what do you mean you call it? He's like, yeah, because it like powers, powers farm equipment. Well, it's, that's true. You you actually could run an engine on it. Uh, the stuff's uh, uh, will definitely explode and, and light, and it'll kill any germ you've got. And uh, you know, it's it's uh, got a lot of medicinal properties and uh, entertainment properties. So you said there's some rules here now, right? Yeah, there's uh, uh, you know a couple rules for drinking moonshine. First of all, if somebody gives you moonshine, you um, uh, need to make sure they drink it first um, because well, it's just a safety thing. Um, I like that. And uh, it's it's uh, most appropriate to drink it straight out of the jar. Um, you don't really need to worry about the germs because they really will. Right, it wanna, really, it will kill them. You want to try it? Sure, sure. I'm going to let you go first I, because cut, I want to follow the rules here. I, I got I have to confess, I've cut way back, but give it a try. It's in a, it's in a, it's in a very, for the folks listening, it's in a very nice mason jar. That's a nice one. Oh, yeah. Let me, let me That's a, I think you'll like that. So this is from West Virginia. Well, I had to... Ooh. For, for, Let's just say I'm I'm keeping uh, Joe Manchin's promise for him. Oh man, that's good. that's actually that's actually pretty smooth. Yeah, so that's the second rule of moonshine. That's so, actually pretty smooth. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a wonderful thing. The um, the second rule of moonshine is if you drink it and it tastes like alcohol, don't drink it because it's not it's not pure enough. So so when people are making this, I mean, you you can and this happened during prohibition, right? I mean, they they'd be doing these homemade alcohol concoctions and people would get sick or die even, right? Because oh goodness, they, they, yeah. So what happens? Is it the process of, of make, making it? Something goes wrong? This, you, you know, you get, it's, it's a distillation, which means you're boiling uh, a liquid and you're getting the gas and you're finding the, the gas that you want, condensing it back into a liquid. Uh, so there's ethanol, there's methanol, uh, there's stuff that'll make you go blind in it. This is what uh, happened in Prohibition. This was a com- common kind of thing that happened. Sure. Right? 
And the, you know, and copper's expensive. Copper's always been expensive. And uh, old junk radiators are cheap. So folks would use radiators to do that. The, the distilling instead of using a copper coil, copper coil. Uh, and uh, so you get a lot of impurities in it. Folks get sick. Wow. So no, this like when I hear West Virginia, I mean, I think of two things. I think of coal, and I think of moonshine. Is that are those kind of the? You know, I I, I honestly don't think about it that way at all. I, I think about it as uh, uh, independent folks, uh, uh, full of mountains, not a lot of flat land, uh, a lot of small towns. Um, and uh, people kind of, they're awful lot like Alaskans, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a, it's a different kind of pretty than up here. So how did you get, because get, I mean, obviously you sound very much like you're from West Virginia, from, from the, the South. So you, I assume you came up here when you were older, after, after medical school or during medical school? Uh, yeah, I came up here for the first time, I think, uh, uh, when I was a resident. Uh, when I... Uh, uh, when I was younger, my favorite vacations were I'd pick a national park, get there, and, and go do backcountry camping out in it. And I uh, came up, I did that at several different places, and I came up to Alaska and went over to Wrangell, and I've, I found the mother load. This is where I want to be. So I, oh, I just I tried read, to find I just a job. Re- it's actually right there. I just read Pilgrim's Wilderness, which is McCarthy, you know, which. Oh, my wife in, and I, we did our uh, honeymoon over there. Fantastic. Are you familiar with that Papa Pilgrim situation and all that? I've I've heard what's the is that was that like a sect or a cult or something? A, I've heard well, it, was, but I don't remember the story. It was, a, it was a guy and he had like all these kids and they moved to McCarthy and they were living in New Mexico and it was kind of a religious, very religious, and oh. there was all this abuse and, and it kind of be, they moved to McCarthy and kind of it became a really big kind of focal point of McCarthy and the family and they were very kind of anti-government and huh? No, uh, I don't. It's know a great this, book. I, I should, don't know the story. You should, read, you should read the book. We just read it for our book club. It's a really really good. It was kind of big and like they moved here in '02 and then by like '04. Five or six, there was like all this legal stuff. He went to jail. I mean, he was really it was oh, a really bad deal. That's pretty recent. He too. died. Yeah, he died in jail. That's just been twenty years ago. That's that's pretty modern stuff. Yeah, I moved here in '04, and it was like it was in the newspaper. You kind of know about it, but the people in McCarthy and that part of Alaska. I mean, it was a very. I mean, they, they all the kids would sing and they would you know play instruments and they would go to like events and hmm. but like not you know very uneducated, didn't read. It was all biblical. I mean, it was very huh. very weird. Uh, Kind of situation. Well, that's you know, the folks. If they're reading the Bible, you would think they'd be doing some reading. But uh, the uh, kids didn't get taught. To, they just got they got read too. I guess oh. they weren't like it was hmm. it was a one of those kind of no, no no school for them. But it was like I think it was like nineteen kids and wow. They bought this property in McCarthy and um, from this guy who used to live there. He was living in Fairbanks and didn't want to sell to the government. It was it was in the park, the, oh. the national park. But there was some stipulations in like Anilka with some of these parks and some people who had land could still live there. And so it's like one of the, I think oh. the only park where you have people actually living in the park. I'm familiar National with the, park. I'm familiar with that part of it because, uh, uh, we, our honeymoon was staying at a lodge that was in the middle of the park, uh, that folks could have cause it was there before the park came in. So when did you first come up here when you went to Wrangell? Was that? Gosh, probably, uh, I don't know, somewhere early two thousands. Uh, I don't recall if, uh, when that one was maybe Oh two. When did you, did you move here after medical school? I moved here in 2015. Uh, it took me a while to find a job up here and, they, you know, think life kind of intervened. In the, oh, in the so you, you had been here and then you were working and you kind of, you wanted to, you, you wanted to come back or? Yeah, I got a, I got an Alaska license uh, to, to come up here and, you know, practice medicine several years before I was actually able to make it up here. I've just been waiting for mm-hmm. an opportunity. So I don't know this, but I assume medical license is kind of like bar, like legal licenses. You can 
did it in one state, maybe other states recognize it, but then other states might not recognize it, so you have, you have to pass the board or what? Uh, mostly you pay fees, to be honest with you. Um, uh, I think one state requires a, a test for getting a medical license. It's, the, uh, it's Texas, and it's a test about laws. It's a legal test. Uh, up here, it's uh, send in all your paperwork and your credentials and pay a fee. And you're, and so you're, we talked about this before, you're an anesthesiologist. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I started my career doing anesthesia for kids and, uh, uh now we you know, do, uh, uh, more, more adults and I work here at one of the hospitals in town. So when you started going to medical school, were you like, I want to be an anesthesiologist or did you kind of not know what you wanted to be? And you can, cause at some point you have to kind of pick, right? What you want to be. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, no, I, I uh, totally did not want to be an anesthesiologist. Uh, I went to medical school to be a surgeon. Um, I, uh, I did a sort of an atypical medical school. I went to class for a couple months, uh, and, uh, kind of realized that I'm not sure this is for me. And I knew I wanted to be a surgeon. So I went over and found a surgeon. Uh, he did, uh, heart surgery on kids, I asked him if I could follow him around. And, um, one thing led to another and my day started being, uh, uh, meet with him and an anesthesiologist that worked with him, check on children in the ICU, go down to the operating room, help get the case started go back to a couple of classes that they took attendance for, come back over, oh. uh, uh, finish the surgeries. Um, and uh, so I, I really started doing a lot of anesthesia while I was there. And um, I learned how important it was. I didn't really know anything about it uh, before. Uh, my mentor was a, a pretty extraordinary fellow. He was uh, independently wealthy. His uh, parents own a billion-dollar company. And um, uh, he had been uh, ill as a child. And it left him with some, some problems, uh, physical getting around problems. And he uh, was incredibly well-trained, and this was in West Virginia. And his credentials, frankly, were a whole lot better than, than uh, you'd expect at the place we were, that I was working at. No, no offense to the place. And uh, uh, he came there just on the, on the agreement that he'd be able to manage pain and comfort for the kids as he saw fit. And, uh, you know, he was a... Uh, uh, you know, it was his religion in, in a way, uh, taking care of people. And so that was, he got me into anesthesia. Uh, I, I kind of realized one day that when I was going home talking, telling stories about it, what I didn't during the day, it was, they were anesthesia stories. And, uh, I thought it was really pretty cool to have that ability to, uh, make uh, a kid that's, uh, having something really extraordinary happen to him, uh, not hurt and not be scared. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, it was, a uh, it was Got me stuck. This was in what you went to school in West Virginia, medical school, or where did you go to medical school? I went to med school in West Virginia. Um, and then I went for training in Philadelphia, um, uh, which was uh, my first time in a big city. Spent four years. I lived in West Philadelphia, 44th and Walnut. So was and, your, uh, when you grew up, were you like, were you in the, like the like suburban part of West Virginia? Were, were you, did you, did you grow up in like a, like a very like urban or I'm sorry, rural part? You know, uh, I guess like I, I, the word like backwoods comes to mind, you know, like kind of the back, like back country. Well, we had a house um, and, uh, uh, and, and uh, so forth. And my, my, we weren't poor by any means. My dad was a firefighter. My mom was a nurse. And uh, uh, but the town I'm from is called Pinch. Um, it's right beside Quick. And there's about 400 people in Pinch. Well, it was a real small. Yeah, I had to find out how many because there was financial aid for some of the colleges I was applying to that um, uh, Appalachians are considered a minority group for them, and there were special scholarships for us. Mm. Uh, if my town was small enough, and turns out my, my town was plenty small enough uh, to get some financial aid. 
Um, but uh, while I was in college, the town actually got a little bigger. They moved the welcome to pinch sign another 50 yards down the road, grabbed another house and another four <laughs> people. Yeah, so that's uh, that's the kind of place I'm so from. You went to undergrad in, in West Virginia too, or you went? No, no, I uh, I went down to college down in North Carolina and went down at Wake Forest. Oh wow, that's, that's a big big. School. Were you there when the basketball when they were yeah basketball? Yep, I. Uh, I claim to have played uh, pickup basketball with Tim Duncan. Uh, I'm not entirely sure he was aware I was on no, the court. Really? But uh, I was I was on the court. You're pretty the same tall. Time You're he pretty was, tall. I, I like to think I at least was an an, an an obstacle as he ran down the court and dunked. Uh, Randolph Childress was there when I was there. That was oh, big. Wow. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, when was, I when I wake first, like first thing I think about is basketball. Oh yeah. Well, they. It was uh, when I was there. The basketball was just starting to be amazing. Um, and uh, but th- those games were fun, and um, it was they. They were they kept trying to make something out of football, but they hadn't. Uh, they definitely hadn't no, done that when I was there. They're definitely basketball. Yeah. So so okay. So you you have this mentor. You get into anest- anesthesia now. After uh, there's like medical school. There's residency, but then you have to go into your own. Fe- I mean, you have to spend some time in your kind of field, right? For so many. <laughs> Well, uh, years. yeah, so uh, normally for residency, you can come out and you can be an anesthesiologist and, and uh, make a good living and do some good. Um, uh, I got uh, talked into going back and working for that mentor doing uh, uh, anesthesia for kids having heart surgery. Did that for a while and then uh, joined the faculty at the university there for a couple of years and then went off into private practice doing doing different types of anesthesia. So when I, when I saw you this weekend, I was at that Dennis Prager event, which, by the way, Dennis Prager... I really enjoy. I mean, that was really enjoyable. He's a very entertaining person. I love. I really enjoyed listening to him, to him speak. Very entertaining. I got invited last minute, so I was kind of happy to. I knew I knew he was speaking, and um, I was uh, was happy to see him speak. But I saw you, and I mentioned that uh, I had surgery probably f- eight years ago, like a sinus surgery. Oh yes, yeah, and, yeah. And then the the anesthesia it was this woman, very nice doctor, and she told me to count backwards from ten, and I go nine and. And I remember thinking seven. Sure. And then I woke up, you know, and it was like a four hour. It wasn't too long, but it was like four hours. And, and it was, it, it almost felt like a time travel. Yep. Because I couldn't really process it. I, I felt like I just said, thought, thought about seven. Yeah. But then I was awake. And I mean, I felt horrible. I, my nose was all, you know, oh, huh. get, like get gauzed up. But um, it, it's just, but then I mentioned when I was a kid, um, I had a, and you actually said the drug vers- Verset. Oh yeah, because I remember that when I was a kid, I had like a tonsil adenoids thing, and um, they gave me this drug, and and I had, you know, I was awake, I was told, but I had like no memory, yeah, of uh, waking up, driving back, being home. I, you know, they, my parents told me I was saying all these like crazy things, but but I, I'm just curious, like about anesthesia, like is this? You were saying you were saying this isn't something that's necessarily understood. Well, about how some of this stuff works. It's it's one of uh, anesthesia is one of the amazing things. So, um, in that, uh, uh, we don't actually know how the anesthesia gases work, which is the mainstay of keeping folks asleep. We know they work. Uh, we can predict very accurately and very safely the exact dosage within a percentage. But how how they like figure out to use what is it propofol or or like who figured out? Hey, let's let's use. Well, propofol and Versed are, are different. Those are drugs through the, that you give in an IV. And those were some, a smart person uh, saying, hey, uh, receptors in the brain that we think have something to do with sleep uh, or amnesia or hypnosis uh, are shaped like this. These molecules are shaped like this. Let's see if we can make one in the lab that's shaped similarly and see if it'll fit like a key in that lock and, and get people off to sleep. 
um, the anesthesia gases, which is how it started, um, are totally different. That's sort of a trial and error thing. The modern ones, they've been making them because they, they've won, you know, at 30, 40 years ago. Was, I'm, I'm thinking was, of like ether. And they used to use, use ether. Yeah, so that's, that's actually some pretty interesting history. So anesthesiologists, I, I like to say, were the Rodney Dangerfields of medicine. In that we, <laughs> we, we don't get any respect, you know. <laughs> no, respect, no, no respect. No respect. No respect. But it's, it's okay, um, you know, because you know, nobody has ever come to a hospital to get an anesthetic. You, you don't do it. You know, people come, they get surgeries, they get procedures, they have babies, they get, they get whatever. And we're just there to, to help make that better. Uh, and um, uh, when, but despite being the Rodney Dangerfields, there's a, there's a doctor's day. Um, it may not be a holiday you celebrate, but it's uh, every year there's a doctor day. And nobody, even the people that celebrate doctor's day, don't know that it's actually the anniversary of the first time somebody did uh, uh, ether anesthesia in America and, and spread the word about it. So what year was that, like 1800s? Yeah, it was about a decade before the Civil War started. I think it was 1847, but but don't don't quote oh, me. So I'm not. Is, I'm this, not goes, this goes back like a long, for this a long time. Oh, it goes back forever. And if you start looking at other cultures, you know, uh, folks in China and South America, uh, you know, cocaine was started off chewing a leaf for mm-hmm. you know and stuff. So uh, you know, folks have been having ways to um, uh, take away pain and 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 help people. Basically, as long as there's been people. So, so when I hear like anesthesiologist, I think someone goes to sleep. Is that always what it is? Or can you do other things that don't necessarily involve sleep, but maybe sure. making somebody like you can't, is like, is the epidural, is that an anesthesiologist or is that a? Yep. Like, yep. I, uh, um, epidurals for babies. That's, uh, I used to say that was the one place I could reliably make women happy. Uh, was uh, uh, going in and, and there's like all, this. all those movies, you know, where they're like, "Give me the shot," you know. I, want, I want the epidural. It is absolutely like that. Uh, uh, you, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it is a great opportunity to be a, be a nice guy. I, I have a friend who was, um, this is years ago. She was having a baby, and something happened, and whatever happened, it was like too late. They couldn't give it to her. Oh, something like I don't know what the reason was, but they said, "Sorry, it's too late. We can't do it." Um. Uh, you know, that's actually, you, you kind of stumbled into something that's a really big, very, in the medical world, po- medical world politically charged conversation mm-hmm. uh, in terms of timing of epidurals. Some folks think that epidurals slow down delivering babies. Some folks think they speed them up. Um, so this basically, the epidural makes ma- makes the woman not have, like, feel the, there's no pain or there's less pain or how does it? Well, um, it's uh, it's not a, it's not quite as simple as that. You can actually... Uh, give people different amounts of medicine uh, in the epidural to get different things. So it turns out we're we're we're, we're made in a way that's that's that lends itself to getting epidurals. So we've got we we, all, we got nerves in our body, and some of them uh, tell the brain that something hurts. Some of them tell the body to contract for having the having the baby. Those nerves you can think of them as like wires. So the Nerves that say, hey, my knee hurts or my, my belly hurts, those are thin, cheap, uninsulated wires. And, uh, they don't have any myelin on them. The nerves that say, move my leg or uh, contract that uterus are thick, insulated wires. So we can put a little bit of medicine in there, uh, like water, and, and short out the nerves that uh, say pain and leave the ones that let you move around and do stuff intact. So it's like when somebody gets paralyzed, they get da- the nerves get damaged. They can't be repaired, and then they ca- they can't walk or they can't move their whatever arms or exactly. Yeah, that that that's that, that, in an injury, sorry about the, sorry about in the light an, there. In an injury, yeah, um, that can happen. 
you know, paralysis. I don't want, I don't really want that to get in the conversation about epidurals because it's, um, it's mm-hmm. exceedingly rare. And I really definitely don't want to have anybody get scared to get an epidural. Right. Uh, yeah. I was, super I was, safe I was just do. saying about the nerves, I guess, but some nerves are, you said stronger and some nerves They're, are. Yeah, they are. The, those are the nerves that are out in the, in your body, um, after they leave your spine. So all your, all the nerves kind of float around in a sack, uh, that's protected by the bones uh, of your spine. And for an epidural, uh, it turns out we're made with a little empty space around that sack on the outside of it, between the sack and the bones. And so we can put a needle in there and put some medicine in that empty space. It's like in, and put a little catheter or a little hose in there to make, makes an epidural. And so it's like we're made to get them. I wonder who figured that out. Uh, that must've been a weird one to kind of figure out. You know, it's, uh, I, I don't recall when they did that one, but I, the, I remember the guy that did it, figured it out on himself, uh, by sticking them in his neck. And he got a friend to help him. So the oh first God. ones, yeah, he got to, he got a lot of headaches. He got a lot of headaches with uh, trying to do that because so, they didn't know about uh, the side effects. So, so is this um, at all at all comparable to? I mean, I think about when you go to the dentist. You know, they give you the note. They they shoot some needle yep. somewhere and then they do the filling, and you can't feel it because they do something to the nerve, and there's no you know they're drilling, and you can hear it, you can see it, but you don't feel it. That's the exact same kind of medicine, um, and in some cases, it's identical medicine but it's much stronger than what we would use in an epidural because we don't really want to make people that numb. Um, although we could with, with enough strong enough medicine. Uh, cause you want, when you know, folks are having a baby, for instance, uh, you want them to be able to, to have contractions and deliver the baby. And when we, we do epidurals for other things, we, uh, we did an epidural. Actually, I did an epidural on a homeless fellow yesterday. Um, I had, I had three patients who were experiencing homelessness yesterday, coincidentally. Um, um, uh, we put an epidural on this fellow for some broken ribs uh, so we wouldn't hurt anymore and wouldn't have to take a bunch of stuff. Yeah, broken ribs are the worst because you really can't, can't put a cast on broke. You kind of just have to let it heal, right? No, that, yeah, that's a stinker. They can tape them if they're super, super bad. They can do surgery on it, but uh, yeah, those, those just hurt. So how much of, of your work in anesthesia is actually putting something, like what percentage is people going to sleep versus the, the other, other kind of stuff you were talking about? Well, uh, uh, to my uh, perhaps regret sometimes, I, I do more management now um, than I do oh, you're, you're, actually you're, putting people to sleep. You have like a desk, huh? Or like a-, <laughs> I, uh, a desk would, would glorify it a bit more than it, than it is, uh, but so, uh, yeah. So do you, I mean, are you part of one, I know the hospitals, the anesthesiologists, they can work at different hospitals. I mean, what, do you work for yourself or do you work for a group? Like what, what's your role in... So we, we have a, a group of physicians um, that we're independent of, of uh, a hospital or, or any of that stuff. And uh, uh, we work at a, one hospital and one surgery center in town. Uh, in a given day, so today I put uh, one person to sleep. I went to one code. Um, I uh, put in a, what we call a central line. I uh, uh, helped some folks that were having trouble uh, in one room. Uh, and I put in a couple of nerve blocks. So that was, that was my day to day. I did a variety of different things. Sounds like a big day. Today was a light day, to be honest. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a light day. I set up Uh, some equipment. I wrote an article. I went to a solid (laughs) restaurant. I had a a bourbon drink. I had some lunch. I kind of like sat in the sun for a few minutes. Uh, You you don't need to remind me that sometimes I make poor choices, Jeff. So so you probably make make a lot more money than I do. So, you know, that's probably a good good trade-off. So what's like, I mean, a lot of surgeries we think, you know, four or five, six hours, whatever. But some of these here, they last a long time. Like what's the longest... Someone can be asleep for surgery without having some concern about 
Or, or is there a concern? Can they be asleep for a long time and there's no concern? You know, you, you can you can be asleep for a long time. So folks that are in the ICU are sometimes asleep for days and, and they recover and, and, and do well. Uh, for surgery, uh, the longest I've ever kept anybody asleep personally was was a bit over 24 hours. Um, that's that's a long. long you, you were there the whole time. Yeah, yeah, I was there. So the you were you were you were awake for twenty four hours. I was awake for twenty four hours. We in anesthesia we get breaks, uh, so somebody will come in and uh, sit in the room for us for uh, us to go out to the you know do the necessities and and so forth. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I was I was there that long. Um, the the limiting factor really isn't keeping the anesthesia going per se. It's the side effects of laying still uh, for a long time and or having the surgery. So people tend to get really puffy uh, when they're laying still. People can get sores from from being laying on the the OR tables mm-hmm. and not moving, and th- those really limit the things more than than, than the anesthesia. Uh, the, we've got the modern anesthetic drugs. We can keep somebody asleep for an hour uh, or or six hours, and they'll still be just as awake ten minutes later. So have you ever? I mean, had like a scare? Where, I mean, you know, somebody starts having, I guess, crashing, or they 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 start to. Go, like they have to recover, they have to save them or do, you know, CPR. Or yeah, I've, uh, I've lost a few patients uh, over the years. Um, the, uh, uh, I was a bit superstitious. I had a pair of shoes that I kept. The nurses made fun of me about it quite a bit because they were very old shoes. They were very terrible shoes. I took them to a fellow down on fireweed to repair them because they, these are the shoes I wear in the operating room. These are your lucky shoes. These are my lucky shoes. And he, he repaired them. He put a patch on the hole I'd worn through the toe and so forth. Um, and, uh, I said, I'd change it when I lost a patient or, or had a, had a big scare. And, um, so, uh, you can make it several years, uh, without those. You try very hard when, when my job is, is done right. I'm very bored and, uh, I mm-hmm. like being bored at work. Uh, I, I try to save my excitement for my personal life. So I, <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> so I, I imagine some like patients are probably standard, you know, just whatever tonsils or, but then some patients probably are a lot more high risk. They're doing a a risky type surgery and they're already maybe at oh, risk sure. of having, you know, problems and, and sure. Is that kind of accurate? Like a way to. Oh, absolutely. We're, we're all different. Um, and we're different on the inside too. Um, which is kind of neat, uh, frankly. Um, uh, but yeah, patients can come very sick. Uh, some people are at higher risk for having surgery than, than other people. Some surgeries are very risky. Uh, we are a primarily a hospital brace practice, uh, so we take care of primarily of very sick people, mm-hmm. um, uh, folks that aren't, uh, that are, that are of better health, uh, and having less invasive procedures, they go to surgery centers. Uh, you know, we take care of the harder patients, frankly. Oh yeah. There's a surgery sets where, well, no, I went to Providence, but, but another friend of mine had a, I picked him up and he was at the surgery center there on like Lake Otis. So, yep. There's a, there's a couple of good ones over there. Um, so I want to ask you about, you know, you kind of came to public prominence, uh, last year when you were. Mayor Bronson will switch gears. Uh, oh, okay. Promoted you to the homeless coordinator. And then I kind of met you a few times, and you were in our video. I guess it was last summer we did the This Is, uh, this is Anchorage kind of. This yep. is still Anchorage. Yep. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that because, I mean, before that, I didn't, I didn't, I haven't heard, I didn't hear you before that, but then you were kind of thrust into the spotlight for, for a while. Yeah. Well, that component of it was, uh, was a bit unexpected, uh, but, uh, you know, it was a, uh, it was a tremendous opportunity, uh, frankly, to try to help on a on an issue that's uh, you know, very important to me and my wife. And um, uh, frankly, it's something that's that's fixable, and um, uh, it's it'll be good that uh, when we get it fixed. Are you surprised? I mean, I, I'm I'm not 
shocked about it, but I think some people are surprised that Sullivan's still kind of operating. I know there's this plan. They want to do this this navigation center thing that's still being – because yeah. they, they, they simply passed money for it, but it's still going to be a while, I think, before anything – happens it is you know it's uh um i'm very hopeful uh that the sullivan will be replaced with something better soon um uh i I would have liked to um have seen it uh replaced with a with something better uh sooner uh but uh uh, it'll be good to do it right so uh those things can take time so when when you when you left and I think you weren't getting paid, were you like a dollar? Like a, weren't you getting paid like a dollar or something? Well, the, and to be honest, actually they paid me uh, in the end after I left. I've I've been paid for my time with the city. Um, uh, I asked the mayor when I uh, when he when he asked me to take the job uh, to not pay me, um, but uh, that, apparently that's legally difficult, and uh, so I got paid. Oh, nice. Well, yeah, it, money never hurts. Take a, take a little trip. Uh, a very small trip, yeah. So, so, so what was, you know, it was kind of reported and, you know, you, you had left and you were there for, uh, I think, six, six or seven months or was it longer than that? I, I think it was probably less than that, honestly. So what, what happened? What, 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 did you leave or was it a disagreement? What, what kind of what, what went down? Because, I mean, you were like the kind of the go-to everybody, everybody was you know, talking about or looking at for the homeless stuff. Well, um, you know, I, I, I continued to have my business and my practice of medicine uh, during that job. And uh, I stayed with the city in, until I really wasn't useful anymore. And uh, I went back to uh, where I was needed more at, at my practice. What do you think um, needs to happen to, to solve this problem? Because I'm, you know, I drive around today and I mean, you still, it's kind of everywhere. It's still very visible. Well, you know, the, the heart of, of uh, what what we in the city have been talking about uh, since before the mayor came into office was a, a systematic approach where, you know, basically you set up uh, uh, something similar to a healthcare system um, of sufficient capacity uh, to help everybody. Um, and that's, that's the, those are the two main things, uh, adequate capacity and organization uh, that measures outcomes uh, and outcomes in terms of lives changed as opposed to how much money and, so forth we spend on it you you were a big proponent or advocate for this kind of navigation center con- concept right like a central place where people can different because like when i stayed at the sullivan or even when i've gone to these camps in the past and mm-hmm. we've you know it's 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 definitely like there's an alcohol addiction element to it there, there's a mental health element to it there, there's a kind of just i, I don't want to be part of society element to it there's sure. yep. there's just uh, there's all kinds of elements there's a there's a, I can't find a place to live it's too expensive right there's like all these different and some overlap but but I mean there are unique problems that a lot of these people face that sometimes overlap but sometimes are very different uh, uh, absolutely and, and and by the way uh, I got a lot of respect for you spend the night in the Sullivan and and your reporting in general on this issue you, I really think you're in all seriousness you know working hard to understand it and explain it to people I appreciate uh, that. So, yeah, it's, it's um, um, you know, it's, I, I think if we, it's, it's, uh, most people don't ever really, I think part of the problem is most people never really actually, they might see somebody on the street or they might see a camp or something, but they don't really ever go yep. really see it, you know, and understand some of the people that are facing these problems. And it's, it's really, it's, it's, if it was simple, it would, you know, would have been solved a long time ago. Yeah, it, it, you're right. And, you know, in, in, in some ways it's simple, in some ways it's complex and, and the, uh, you know, and the solutions are, um, uh, challenging, not, not necessarily because any one of them is a difficult thing to do, but because um, 
well, frankly, uh, uh, any solution is going to offend some segment of the population, mm-hmm. you know, and, that, and that creates a lot of challenge. Uh, and you're exactly right. There are, uh, if you talk to a, a hundred different folks experiencing homelessness, you're going to get a hundred different, you know, nuanced answers as to why they're why they're in that spot. If you talk to people to solve them, they they got different reasons. A lot of folks have jobs. A lot of folks just you know have all of the things that you said. They they have different problems. And so, you know, the the heart of what we're what we were proposing to do, and what I think that the city is is uh, I'm hopeful to continue to move towards. It wasn't build a building or buy a building. It was set up a um, uh, uh, a system, you know, and compare it to a hospital. You know, a hospital is a building, uh, but what's how is it different than this office building we're sitting in? Well, it has a place to get surgery. It has a place to get x-rays and laboratory and, and a place for people to spend the night safely and people that care about them, right? And that's the kind of thing that we need when you're, You've got a whole bunch of people, and someone comes to you, and they and they're, they're they don't have a safe place to stay tonight. Uh, you got to figure out why, and uh, and you got to help them help them fix that. And so, you know, I, I think about it like a like chest pain, right? So people come to the emergency room, and they say, "My chest hurts." Well, uh, your chest can hurt because you're having a heart attack. Your chest can hurt because you pulled a muscle. Your chest could hurt because you got cancer. No way of knowing, right? And so. You need, uh, you know, basically an emergency room there that can like a triage, like a triage, triage, and and it has to be located in a place where if the person's having a heart attack, you can help them, or if they have cancer, you can take the X-ray or whatever to find it. So you, you kind of have to have a certain size to it. That's a really good way to put it. I mean, if yeah, if somebody's having an addiction problem, or if if somebody needs a place to stay, yeah, it does. Because the housing is like I think. I used to think the housing wasn't as initially when I started really digging into this a couple of years ago, I never really thought about the housing factor. Yeah. But, but then I kind of realized that there is, there is, that is part of the factor. And now I think it's worse because there's just so there's so few places on the market and the places that even the rent to rent. I mean, it's, it's you're looking at 1500, $2,000 a month, you know, it's a lot. It's for a, a decent, lot. And you got to put first down, you know, first month and last month and deposit. So, oh, yeah. It's, it's not easy to like, if you're broke right now, if like, and I've been, I've moved here with no money and I work different jobs. I mean, I remember being like having no money. Sure. And when you have no money, $5,000 is, it may as well be a million dollars. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, that, and that's part of it. I don't know that it's the biggest part. I don't think it's the biggest part, but, but I do, I do think that is a, you know, yeah. a, a factor. And it's, and it's something, um, you know, that's the one that's the most expensive to fix. Uh, and it's not necessarily the, um, uh, the biggest one, but it's one that has to be part of the solution. You've got to be able to find a way for folks who are working um, uh, and folks who aren't actually you know, have I, a safe place to stay. I'm, I'm convinced, and, and, and maybe there's like compounding factors to this, but I think to me the mental health part is is by far the biggest part. We, we have the, the deficits here are huge. Um, you know, we've got some, and we've got some real barriers to fixing that. You know, the the hospitals in town would would uh, I, I hate to sp- I wouldn't speak for them. Uh, but I think there are a lot of folks that would like to see a lot more mental health capacity, you know, mm-hmm. treatment capacity here. And, and there's some barriers to, to getting those things stood up that are, you know, frankly, unnecessary and fixable. Uh, and we need to do it. And, and you know, it, it's obviously a problem in Anchorage, but it's also just a problem in this country, homelessness. I mean, you can see it in big cities and um, not every city, but I think so, like, you get like Los Angeles or you know, it, parts of Texas, San Antonio. I mean, there's it's it's, it's um. 
And, you know, and, we, and we've seen, we see differences in different parts of the country. We see, uh, we've seen differences over the past two or three decades um, as uh, government policies have changed. Uh, it's, it's pretty clear that uh, the things that government does or doesn't do have a very direct impact on how many folks are on the streets. Have you been to any places, or, I mean, when you were doing this job, I mean, are there any places that are kind of like doing it right, do, do it, doing a really good job? You know, uh, I think that places like San Antonio, um, uh, Chris Constant actually told us about that place, um, uh, the, the Haven for Hope. Mm-hmm. Um, it was started by a consultant we brought up here, actually, um, uh, years ago. They get it right. They, they actually embody what we're talking about, where you've got a place that anybody can come in the door, and no matter what their problem is, or if they don't have a problem at all, they just need a, need a, a direction, um, they can help them. It's, it's all there. You know, and as, as we, you know, and as you were, you were talking there and you, you talked about affordable housing, you talked about mental health treatment. You know, if we think about it in terms of each of those things uh, and, not, and don't think about it in terms of having those things as part of an organized system that has, a, a, if not a central location, at least a central knowledge base to, to get people around to, um, we'll, we'll continue to have some of the same problems we've got. Uh, we have a lot of uh, folks in this town that are running uh, charitable organizations. Uh, they're doing great work, uh, but they're they're in silos. They're they're here. Oh, and that's here, so and, true. And There's and so just, many of these. Got to get them together. We got to get them together, and we need to do. Uh, and and frankly, the, the government's got to help with the part uh, that's difficult to fundraise for, um, and and do some of the things that are the public safety component. Uh, that that's sort of the role of government and. Uh, um, and, and folks, folks have strong opinions about that. And now it's, you know, now it's 70 degrees outside. It's a great summer. And I think, you know, in the winter, it's obviously different because it's very cold. And some of these people are hardcore and they sleep outside all winter. And I think I just can't understand that. It's, it's like, you got to have quite a resilient spirit to do that. But summertime, you know, it's a lot of, a lot more camping. It's, it's not that no. difficult to be outside in the summertime. Well, you said you couldn't understand it, but I think you're—I think you're saying that more as a conversational. Uh, I mean, I, mean, I, I just can't, I can't imagine doing that. I mean, it's so cold, and yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's it's like you got to be so tough to they, sleep outside in ten, twenty below, and homeless, and they, and they do it. I mean, these people do it all all winter long. Some of them, folks that survive in homelessness are extraordinarily tough, extraordinarily tough. Um, in you know, but uh, there, there are a lot of things in life that people do that 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 uh, uh, I don't agree with, um, but I, I feel like I, I could, but I understand why they're doing it. Um, I've talked to a lot of folks that are out in, out in the camps in the winter, um, and, and the ones that, and a lot of them don't want to talk to me um, because there, there's, there's a selection process there. If you're, if you're the kind of person that thinks it's better to uh, be out in the tent than, than be in the Sullivan, for instance, um, then uh, you're, you're also a person. Probably, yeah, no, I definitely isn't going to want to talk I've to me. I've spent a lot of but, time in the, and you're right. A lot of people know, don't want to talk. They, they want nothing to do with, with it's, but it's, you know, it's just kind of depends on what your biggest demon is, you know, or your, or your biggest challenge, you know, and if, if, if the biggest problem for you is, is being around other people or you had a bad experience in, in the Sullivan or a different facility, um, it'll, it'll, it can make it, you know, very, very difficult uh, to go back inside and try a different facility. It's tough. Well, I think, you know, the next, Three to six months are going to be quite telling here in Anchorage what happens with uh, this, this center and these other plans the assembly and the mayor are trying to do. Well, I guess we'll see where it ends up. But, I mean, I'm not I, – I wish I was optimistic, but it just seems to me that things don't really 
haven't changed much in the last. I've been here well, since '04, and well, I think we finally found something to disagree about. Because as I'm optimistic, uh, I'm hopeful. Um, you know, it's um, it's uh, it. it, it uh, I can say I'd like to see things moving a little quicker, uh, particularly with winter. Um, I, I in my day job, uh, I saw way too many folks with hands, feet, ears frozen off. Um, yeah, people die too. It's very, and, and they die. You know, people, yeah, well, the, ones, die. the folks that are dying, I don't, I don't see. I, I see the ones that live with suffering, and uh, uh, it, it's frankly, it's 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 horrifically expensive um, uh, for us as a community. Um, our our numbers are are poorly kept. Our data is is weak. Um, but from one hospital's experience, you know, we had forty some folks uh, that lost a, a hand or a foot or. Uh, part of their ear or their nose. You know, that's that's crazy. There, there aren't that many people here in this town. Uh, and yeah, no, no one, no one should, no one should. You know, we got to do better. No, than unless that. you're out in the wilderness and something happened, no one should be dealing with that in the city. We got to do, we got to do better than that. And the, but the, but what I'm hopeful about is, you know, folks are talking. Um, and you know, we we've we've made a couple steps forward. We, we've we are thinking about. Um, uh, 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 working on this as a systematic approach, as opposed to okay, let's 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 put some money on affordable housing. Okay, let's let's put some money on uh, one one uh, charitable provider here in town. We're thinking about it in terms of a of a uh, uh, of a system, and uh, uh, and we're thinking about it in terms of the city having some skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and historically, it's you know, frankly, you know, just just two or three years ago, the before COVID, the city. You know, took some pride in how little money was spent on on this problem, uh, and um, that's 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 nuts. Um, it's just, uh, uh, it requires government uh, to to make a significant change in this. I mean, you can not spend money on a building for thirty years, and the building falls apart because you don't maintain it. I mean, you can say we don't spend any money, exactly. <laughs> and the building, you know, exactly. And, and even if it's made of stone, you're still gonna you're still gonna have trouble. And uh, you know what what I'm you know what I'm what I'm most uh, wanting to see is that we is that we keep our promises to the people. Um, you know we we, we we need to you know uh, when when we come up with our with the plans when we execute them we we can't leave anybody behind. You know this has to be something that is of scale enough to help everyone in town. Uh, period. And we need to start having accountability uh, for our money. You know it's it simply isn't enough. Uh, to give money to someone because we feel like they're doing a good job. Um, we need to have a measured result. How many folks were successfully independently housed or given jobs or achieved sobriety, uh, whatever that particular organization mm-hmm. is doing, we need to have something we can measure. You know, if we figure, if we have figured out how to measure outcomes uh, for pain, uh, which is a com- you know, completely subjective, I have no idea how much you're hurting unless you tell me, Right. If we can figure out something so subjective in healthcare, and by the way, healthcare is definitely an industry where we know how to spend money. Um, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so yeah. you know, we government's got nothing on us. Um, we we got to be able to come up with a way that we can start measuring what we're getting for our money, uh, both for organizations and for individuals. Um, you just you got to have a result, and and if we do those two things, we'll, we'll be successful. We will. Well, Doctor Morris, it's been great talking to you. I, I know it's. I mean, it's. Great day here. It's kind of coming up on 4.30 and hey. 70 degrees, but I, I really appreciate you coming in, especially after work and talking to me and 
No, um, no. Thanks for thanks for talking to me. I'll, I'll be shocked if anybody is actually interested in, in hearing about uh, we got, uh, we got, we got a lot where of, I'm from. But uh, we got a lot of listeners on the podcast. Um, I mean, people love hearing uh, about people's you know stories. Well, hopefully, I didn't put anybody to sleep. I uh, uh, I am known for that. Not me with that <laughs> moonshine. I feel great. Well, pr- well, that's yours. Keep hang on to it. That's uh, that's going to be. It's not going to last very long. Well, it, uh, I certainly hope not. Really, uh, but really, really appreciate that. No, no. It's if, if uh, Senator Manchin uh, said it. One, uh, the other, he's just tagging in the other, the, mo- the next handy West Virginian. You, I mean, yeah, uh, you, guy, you, guy, you, I'm, you, I'm you, Alaskan now, but you, guy from West Virginia. You, you, you delivered for him. Um, and then one more thing. I we, before the podcast started, I was telling you some more folks filed for office, and then oh, yeah. we, we looked you up, and and you happened to live in the open house seat there, and you know in East in East oh. Anchorage, so you got five days or six days. To, no chance. <laughs> no chance. No none. Zero. <laughs> Zero chance. It's going to be a whole bunch of, I don't know how follow, much you follow the state you know, politics, but in the next five or six days, there's going to be sort of a flurry of new, it always happens this way. They all, a lot of people file at the end. So oh, you're yeah, going to see like Forrest Dunbar filed today to run for the Senate, open Senate seat. Oh, uh, Andrew Gray, if you're, you're familiar with him. He's, oh, sure. Yeah, he filed yeah. to run for the open Ivy's Fonholds house seat today. Huh. Um, James Kaufman, he's a rep. He filed to run for the open Revax seat because Revax running for the, this all happened today. Oh, okay. So, I mean, there's like, and this is, you know, before June 1st, it's going to be all kinds of stuff like that. Well, that's, exci- that's, uh, that's uh, pretty you, exciting stuff. What do you think about Andrew Gray, Forrest Dunbar, and <laughs> Jamie Allard all in the legislature? You know, uh, I'd, let's just get them in a room. Uh, well, they'll, they'll <laughs> especially if it's Jamie and um, Andrew, if they're both in the House, they could very, very well be in a room on a committee. You know, uh, boy, I sure hope they start live streaming those things. If they have, Oh, they're, if they they're on already. gavel to gavel, and don't worry, I'll also be there. I've given, given you all the content you can. This last session, I was there. I don't know if you follow, probably probably not. You know, it's the landmine. It's kind of a lot of the politicos. But there was, you know, Bert Stedman, who's the finance co-chair from Sitka. I mean, he was literally barricading doors shut to try to prevent people from getting into the conference committee, the sergeant at arms, because there was a call on the Senate. Oh, um, really? Because they were trying to finish the conference committee work before the, the time limit ran out on, on the 120-day constitutional limit. And he's barricading the door, they're, they're, you know, they're, and there's, there's a finance meeting later that day and a public meeting and the conference committee's meeting to try to finalize the budget. And there was a call in the house and it ended up being a mix up, but he thought they were maneuvering and he had his staffer close both doors and put a piece of wood in between the doors. And Tom Baggage happened to be there unrelated to the house thing, trying, you know, open the damn door. He's trying to get in. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's chaos down there. John. So you're, you're saying that uh, Anchorage has got nothing on Juno for politics. I, I, I'm saying that Anchorage especially the mask mandate type. I mean, that's a different level. Yeah. But but yeah. there's also a, a whole kind of weirder, crazier element that happens in Juneau in this building where there's 60 people plus staff huh. that are just there for four months. And it's a, we- it's, it's a weird, it's a weird dynamic down there. Yeah. You should come down next year and kind of spend a couple, I, spend a week. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you the full, I'll give you the full tour. I'll give you the full experience. Well, that, that, that is a generous offer. Uh, it's on the table. I, I, I appreciate it. You could you could even it. stay with me at the Driftwood. You know, we got a got a futon where I where I it's all it's all you're you're all set up. I've been to Juno once. I uh, uh, I didn't I didn't uh, see any legislative action or anything. But uh, I was it's a pretty town, and uh, I've never seen so many bald eagles in one place. In oh my yeah, life. it's I couldn't believe it. Super pretty in the summer. There's a book uh, I read, Go, Going to Extremes, by um, Joe McGinnis. He was here in the '70s. Really great classic Alaska book about. Kind of how Alaska was in the 70s with the oil and the pipeline. and Okay, you must uh, be a voracious reader. 
because uh, there's books, there's books here and there, and you know, where we're at, and I, I have the book, can, I have the book club. We do okay, landmine book club. But then I, I, like, I like to read. Oh, too. I, oh, I didn't realize it was your book club. Oh, yeah, you, you should oh. you should join. You can just sign up and <sighs> we take the summer off, but we come back in September and every one book a month. I'm so I'm so I'm so far behind on my reading. It's it's tough. It's tough. But in, in uh, going to extremes, he um he was in Juno and he talked about because Juno's a weird. It wouldn't wouldn't have ever been a city, or except this, they found gold there, and it kind of developed, yeah, and yeah. Um, it's just there's these big mountain. It's like a weird place to have a you know a town, but yeah. um, there's this quote that you know someone gave longtime Juno person, and it's like you know spend a week in Juno in the summer, and you'll you'll, you'll want to spend the re- like you'll never want to leave again. You know, spend a week oh. there in the winter, and you'll 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 give up a year of your life to get to, <laughs> to, to get away for a weekend. <laughs> Because of this darkness, but it's also these mountains, and it's like you're trapped. You can't get out. You can't you can't drive away? Sure, it's I, a it's a ferry or an airplane. I noticed that too. It's a yeah. weird. It's a it's an interesting. Summertime is great though. I mean, summertime's maybe nothing better. Huh. Well, we're we're pretty committed to Anchorage. We're building a house and everything. So, uh, oh, I, I would I, never I, live in Juno. I don't want yeah. to. I don't, don't want to tease myself. It it just be unnecessary stress to, to see something so beautiful because you good, described there. Good spot, Skagway. I lived in Skagway in two thousand eight for the summer. That's a cool little. Well, you can drive there, so that's a little bit. I haven't been to that one yet. Uh, and there, and there's like a Ketchikan, and there's there's all these sure. kind of towns out there. Well, well, Doctor Morris, great talking to you. I really enjoyed the podcast. We'll have to do it again sometime. And and uh, glad you came in. And thank thanks for the moonshine. I, I gotta I gotta remember if anybody gives me that again, I'm gonna tell them to take a sip first. A- absolutely. Absolutely. They got, they got to take a sip first and uh, uh, make sure it tastes just as smooth. I'm as sure there's stuff. a good history there of people trying to you know, give somebody bad shit or something. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a social thing. It's a good thing to do. You know, you, everybody just passes the thing around and uh, it's a, it was a pre COVID tradition for sure. Well, I'm, hey, I, you know what? I'm, I'm, I want to get into the COVID. I'm, I'm, I got my vaccine, all that, but I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm no, an no. avid anti-masker. I don't, you know, I, no. I want to just live my life and. I think I think we could maybe do another podcast on on the COVID and the. <laughs> well, this was this was fun. Thank you for having me. I, I really enjoyed it. I yeah, it. thanks, exactly. Doctor Moore. John, you said call you John, right? Yeah. If we if you could if you do it at the end, that's I appreciate it. Okay. Well, Doctor Morris, John Morris, appreciate you coming in here. We'll we'll do it again sometime. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, folks. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast with me, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.